Emerald Couch Podcast is a weekly conversation with Dr. Lakeitha Poole, a licensed professional counselor in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, about all things mental health and personal growth. The Emerald Couch Podcast is the go-to pop site dialogue for self-help, good laughs, and real talk. This podcast is not meant to be a substitute for seeking support from a licensed mental health professional and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. For more information about counseling and therapeutic services, or for assistance in connecting with a therapist in your area, visit our website at www.smalltalkcounseling.com. Let's start the show. Everybody, welcome back to the Emerald Couch Podcast. We are kicking off episode eight already, so that's two full months in. I hope that um, it's been a great two months for you listening um, and learning, and hopefully, um, just being able to develop some comfort around uh, mental health and some of the topics that we've covered because that's that's the goal. So um, it's been an amazing two months for us, obviously, and being able to put this podcast together um, and make it enjoyable. But also, it's been really fun for us to try to be creative and think of topics that um, you all would really be interested in and um, engage us around too with questions for Ask Dr. LP and for our guests that have been on. So it's been awesome. So thank you as always for continuing to listen and to support. And I hope that uh, we keep giving you things that you enjoy and topics to talk about. So we're going to keep rocking and rolling. So make sure if you haven't already, um, and I know I say this every week that you have liked and subscribed to us on all social media platforms, including iTunes, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook. So please make sure you do that. And then also check out our website at www.smalltalkcounseling.com. Uh, we have some new blog posts up. We have even more coming soon. Um, you can even check out our Instagram feed through our website. Um, so just lots of cool ways for you to engage with us. So I want to go ahead and kick off our episode. Like I said, it's episode eight, um, and I definitely wanted to pick a topic that I think most people, no matter uh, what stage you are in life, could relate to in some form. And so we spent last week's episode answering some really great questions about mental health and coping and uh, helping those around you who, you know, maybe don't understand your experiences around stress and wellness, um, how to get them engaged and involved and be a support for you. And so it was really awesome because we talked about a, a wide variety of wellness topics. And so I want to continue some of that conversation this week by discussing another area that often plays a role in our overall well-being and even sometimes our internal view of how we see the world and how we kind of acknowledge our place in the world um, or our place within it, and that's grief and loss. Um, and so a lot of times people don't want to really talk about this topic. Um, it's definitely something that makes most people uncomfortable because of it being something that is just rarely discussed. Um, and then obviously, you know, it's 
not a very joyous uh, topic, but I think it gives us definitely uh, a reason to maybe discuss this in this setting because we can be really open about it. We can be very honest. Um, and I do all the talking and you guys just listen. And so hopefully that makes it easier to kind of just hear some things about it and, and then maybe process later your thoughts um, around the topic of grief and loss. So like I was saying, death and dying is often a taboo topic. Um, many people avoid it. They don't want to talk about it. But in all honesty, it impacts all of us. And so um, over the last week, for me in particular, this topic has really hit home um, through the loss of one of my childhood friends, uh, Miss Felicia Wilson. And I'd actually like to dedicate this episode to her and continue to send my thoughts and my prayers to her family during what I know is a really difficult time. And to Felicia, I love you. I'm going to miss you. Um, and thank you so much for your friendship and all of the wonderful memories um, that I will definitely have for a lifetime. So I just thank you so much for being in my life for the time that you were. So um, you all know that, you know, it's really tough losing somebody and especially someone that's close to you or somebody that maybe you just consider to be too young, um, to be gone, too vibrant, um, too lively, too healthy, you know, and it really appears like they have their whole life ahead of them, but it definitely happens. And so in those times, we definitely have to lean on our personal faith or our values to gain comfort and clarity, which is something that uh, many people just aren't willing to take the time to do. More so in specific ethnic communities, particularly the Black community, we don't do a good job always of making preparations and having critical conversations about plans and wishes um, when we leave here. And it's just not common. But, you know, I definitely think it's something that generationally we have to do better uh, with, particularly, you know, those of us who are still, you know, young adults or younger adults. So, you know, 45 and under, you definitely should be thinking about this um, because, you just never know what can happen and actually reduces a lot of stress to be able to have plans in place, to be able to have arrangements thought about ahead of time, um, saves your family a lot of stress, but also takes stress off of you knowing um, that you won't have to worry about them uh, being worried about pulling these plans together, as well as sort of the financial piece about it. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Now, those of you who've been listening to the podcast, listening in already, you know that my mother and I have a very close relationship. Uh, she's definitely a tell it like it is type of woman. And as many of you learn from her feature on the podcast, you know, she doesn't mince words. She's honest. And what I definitely appreciate about her is the candidness that she's always had with me about the importance of planning and financial stability in all areas. But particularly with this topic that we're talking about, um, if anyone were to like spy on our conversations or listen in, be a fly on the wall, they would definitely hear us talk about, you know, things like how we want our funeral services to be or the type of photo that's appropriate for a program and, you know, just other special requests that maybe that person might have. And of course, she always jokes and says, um, and I, well, maybe she's not joking, but that she definitely, uh, you know, does not want to have to make those plans for me as her daughter. But being able to talk about that nonetheless um, is important, I think, for both of us. So, for instance, when you talk about like special requests, because I kind of threw that in at the end there, my mother has made it very uh, 
very specific and very clear that uh, she does not want to be cremated. And so she always says, you know, if you don't think you're going to be able to look at me or if something happens and, you know, having an open casket is just not possible, then just close the casket. But please don't burn me up. Um, And that is her, you know, thoughts about it. Obviously, you know, cremation is is also very popular. Sometimes it offers people a form of support and feeling like they have a physical presence of their family members still with them by maybe having an urn in their home with the ashes. Um, Other folks maybe spread those ashes in certain places so that that person's spirit seems to maybe cover a certain area and and kind of lives freely. And so um, it's okay to have those special requests or to have thoughts about that and what you would want. Um, because again, that's something for sure that for me, I want to respect as the last possible thing that I could do for a family member or a friend who's left those arrangements in my care. And so even though it's not a fun topic, it helps she and I to be lighthearted, um, yet honest about it while we're both able to be here and to listen to each other. And of course, we just have that type of relationship, but you get my point. It's being able to know that that's not something that we can maybe afford to not discuss. And she and I both are planners. We are life insurance policy fanatics. So we make sure that those are things Uh, I know for me at a very young age, she talked to me about that. And of course, upon getting sort of my first job where, you know, I had benefits. Those are things that she made sure to talk to me about. But I also recognize that doesn't always happen in every home. There's just not that same level of comfort. And so for most people, with it tending to be an uncomfortable conversation, people don't want to talk about their wishes for a funeral and the plans of like how you would want your personal business and matters to be taken care of. But it's just something that we have to do better. We have to do more often. Um, We definitely have to do earlier in our lives just to make sure that those are conversations we have much sooner. And so obviously I could talk about mental health um, all day on this show and that's kind of what I do and its purpose. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that I hear most from clients are their thoughts and fears um, about unfinished business and the stress that it causes them. And now this is often related to maybe choices they've made or conflict that's going on in their lives, but it still fits very well with this idea that at some point um, we may not be a part of the decision-making around what happens to you know our personal affairs with the people in our lives, um, with our property. Um, and so being able to make sure that those are conversations, again, that are okay to introduce among friends with your children, uh, with your spouse, to be able to make sure that those aren't last minute conversations that feel rushed or that there's a lot of uncertainty around, which stresses the family that's that's left behind. Um, so of course, I wish long life for both myself and for all of you that are listening, but it's so critical to be able to develop a certain level of comfort about this topic in order to reduce the stigma, um, again, particularly among communities of color, even younger generations. It's just not something that we think as much about in the way that our parents and grandparents may have. And so to help with that, I thought it might be useful to chat very briefly um, just about grief and loss as it pertains to mental health. Um, and in particular, I think maybe the most basic way, because I like to always give you guys something tangible and informative, is to talk about just the five stages of grief and what they look like. 
Um, And so this is obviously something that I use a lot with clients, but also when I'm thinking about personal losses that I have, including one that I feel like I'm experiencing on a daily basis a little bit right now in the loss of my friend, I have to think about and remind myself about and also remind clients about as they're going through it and maybe not even remind them, but sometimes teach them for the very, very first time if it's their very first loss. And so the seven stages of grief, I in particular, I know if there are other clinicians listening, uh, they know that there are tons of different models, but my favorite is the Kubler-Ross model. That's the model I was taught um, during um, my schooling, but also that I have found to be the most simple yet effective um, in working with clients to be able to help them to understand this topic a little bit better. So um, the first of those stages, and in particular, the distinction in this model, because I think when I first introduced it was that there there are five sort of particular pieces, but really I'm going to tell you about seven kind of stages. And so the initial stages, those basic five that you're going to hear about if you just were to Google stages of grief would be denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And so these are part of the basic framework that make up our learning to live with the feelings and the emotions about the one that we've lost. And so they're tools that can kind of help us frame and identify what we might be feeling, how we might be feeling. Um, but also, you know, knowing that we can't kind of stop there, you kind of have to keep going and it's not a linear experience. So I think when we think of stages, we often think we have to go kind of in steps like stage one, two, three, four, five, and and, in order, but there are actually, in this instance, these stages, sometimes you can cycle back, there'll be things like triggers that can kind of kick in and, you know, send you sort of to a previous stage to finish processing maybe some things you haven't. So I want you to keep those in mind, but to not imagine them sort of as this linear experience or even like a timeline that I think a lot of people will put themselves on in grief and loss. There's just not a particular framework that you can put on one of these things. I know I unfortunately have experienced um, a number of different losses in a number of ways. So friends and family members, um, I think my toughest loss and my mother and I talked about it a little bit in our Mother's Day episode and talking about the loss of my grandmother and her mother. And, and I think this year in August will make um, six years since she has passed away. But that is definitely a loss that you don't necessarily Uh, completely get over, but you do move on and you're able to utilize more of the happier memories as a way to cope versus sort of the pain um, that comes with an initial loss. So hopefully this will give you guys a little bit of a more of a picture of what that looks like for those of you who may be in the same experience or if you've never experienced a loss to kind of give you an idea of what that can and may look like. So like I mentioned, um, those basic five five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. But in this Keebler-Ross model, um, there's a, a stage or an initiation that comes before that, uh, which is just shock. And this is the initial sort of paralysis of hearing the bad news. So again, taking grief and loss out of it for a second, anytime any of us hear something that's very shocking um, or disturbing, there's going to be... Um, sort of a halt in your emotions very briefly, um, just in hearing bad news. And so shock, again, while they're including it as a stage, doesn't necessarily mean that 
it's going to last a very long time. It could be very initial. It could be for just sort of the few minutes of, of sort of hearing um, that bad news, almost like a pause before jumping right into that next stage, which is denial. So denial is just what it sounds like. It's trying to avoid, you know, the inevitable. Again, with grief and loss, it's not something we talk about often, but when we feel it, we definitely know you know, what that pain feels like. We're at least able to sort of say that, you know, it's it's the most horrible feeling or it feels like someone's punching the gut or, you know, people are able to, to give a lot of language to the fact that that initial shock happens and then not wanting to believe the inevitable. And so that's what denial is. Anger is sort of the frustration and the outpouring of the bottled up emotion, you know, so again, a lot of people, because this is a uncomfortable or taboo topic, don't want to admit or don't want to experience the feelings that come with the inevitable. And, you know, it, it frustrates them that this person is no longer with them or the way in which someone is lost. You know, we've talked on this show before too about some of the social issues that we have. We think about you know, gun violence, we think about police brutality, we think about some of the ways in which loss also happens um, in a more violent um, or hostile way. And anger is definitely a part of that. You know, there's an, an outpouring of emotion that is often bottled up and needs an escape. And what happens with that is it comes out in our most aggressive form. Our next stage, um, bargaining. So this is sort of seeking a way out. Being able, you know, for some people, that's having a conversation with God and saying, you know, if you don't allow this to happen, maybe when someone is sick um, and loss feels like it's approaching, um, you know, bargaining with God to say, if you don't allow this to happen, I'll, you know, never do anything wrong again, or I'll never be mean to them. I'll, I'll be open. I'll listen. Really just trying to seek a way out of a situation that ends with losing that person. The other ways I think people see this is sort of the emotional bargaining that happens and being able to kind of fit with that denial piece again of saying, you know, if I don't think about it, you know, then I've moved on um, or in bargaining kind of with yourself to say, you know, well, you only get a week to grieve about this. You only get a month to be able to be sad and then you have to just move on because they're gone. Um, well, that's not necessarily the best emotional way to process what's happened. And so you're kind of seeking in vain a way out because there's not really a way to bargain around death or loss or grief. It's just impossible. And so recognizing when that's happening too is really critical because I think often people end up in a state of disappointment um, when that loss still happens, thinking that they have a way to avoid that. Next would be depression. And so this is, you know, sort of the final realization um, and sort of allowing the emotions behind the loss and, and what's inevitable to happen. And so, of course, this is what most people, I think, think about when we think of grief and loss um, and the sadness and maybe crying. Um, this is what most people, I think, imagine grief to look like. I think they only imagine it in this way with sort of the depressive stage um, where basically you just realize the inevitable has happened. It's a real thing. Um, and, and you know, something that you're, you're, you're living through. I think that's a little different than what we're about to talk about in a minute around acceptance. But I think that's the stage. Again, depression is what most people imagine uh, 
grief and loss to kind of look like. Um, one of those additional stages that this model includes um, is testing. And so this is where somebody might actually seek out realistic solutions to what they're feeling. Um, and so obviously this can look a number of ways as well, because I think it's being able to help understand how to facilitate change, how to cope. Um, this is where maybe grief counseling um, could kick in or working with someone to process your emotions, even in an informal way. So this just might be with family, you know, doing things together again, post losing that person, um, having a vigil, having a balloon release, some sort of way to start to remember them. So testing is sort of this kind of way that you, you start to process, but you also then start to seek answers and um, solutions to how you're feeling. So that's, again, one of those extra stages that's often left out because everyone doesn't choose to take that route um, of finding better ways to cope. They just kind of move on to the next stage, which is one of the more formal stages of acceptance. And so this is just finally finding a way to move forward. This is finally being able to accept and to make note of the loss as, you know, a mark on your life and being able to then make a decision, a conscious decision to keep going and to move forward. You know, and that doesn't mean any of those stages that we've already talked about can't reoccur and won't be triggered, particularly the depressive stage. I think that's the one that again, cycles back the most because every loss that takes place, particularly if it's a close family member or a friend that you sort of have a routine with, have strong relationship with, have consistent interactions with, there's going to feel like a sense of loss really during every significant time or moment that you would typically spend with that person. So for most people in the loss of a mother, the first Mother's Day without them is very difficult. Same thing for fathers. You know, first Father's Day without someone's father can be very difficult. Their first birthday, significant holidays, if that was sort of their favorite way to get everyone together, it's really difficult, you know, on some of those days to imagine what that will look like. And so that's why a lot of times people will often mention how the holidays and certain birthdays and significant moments um, can be really difficult for the family that folks leave behind because it's just a, a time that's supposed to really be joyous and celebratory um, with that person being present and they're not. And so often people will end up isolating themselves and finding ways to become secluded and almost wallow in their depression, which again leads to bigger issues that we kind of talked about even last week that just aren't good. They're just not the best way to cope. And that's why that stage that kind of gets thrown in there, that testing stage where you get to seek solutions and really process things in a, in a different way are really critical. And again, it's not saying that that has to be through formal counseling, obviously, because I'm biased. I definitely think folks should consider it. But there are other ways to cope with a loss without having to sit down one-on-one -on -one with someone or go to a group session um, to process it. You can definitely, you know, find ways to remember that person, um, to make a significant memorial even for them that allows you to feel like you're gaining a sense of closure and moving into that acceptance stage. So those are the seven stages that um, I just recommend people 
being mindful of and paying attention to. But again, those five are the main ones that we kind of see. And any of you who are listening and have experienced a loss, I could imagine that those sound very familiar and that they are definitely things that you've experienced in your life and could probably speak to even in more detail based on your own experiences and what it's felt like for you to go through your loss. But also my hope is that you have found ways to come out on the other side and to move forward and to find ways to honor that person still while, you know, letting your life be a form of tribute to them as well. So my hope is that's a useful tool for those of you listening who, again, have experienced loss in a lot of ways, but maybe never have and are interested in just kind of being able to put some language to what that looks like. And so just a useful tool in understanding the emotions we experience and just being able to establish the language and vocabulary for it. So as I close this topic, again, I just want to make sure that I remind you all about the importance, and this is more of a wellness talk than mental health in some ways, but you know, really being able to pay attention to the plans and arrangements that maybe folks around you who are close are making, um, be that listening ear that allows them to process, you know, how they would want things to be um, if they were no longer here, or how they would want their funeral or memorial service to be, what would it be like? And being able to allow them to do that, but also finding ways for you to do that for yourself. And I think a big thing, again, that usually comes up in certain ethnic communities is the financial side of it. You know, often we haven't done our due diligence in setting aside, you know, either funds and savings for funeral arrangements, or we haven't, you know, wanted to make the sacrifice of, you know, having a a life insurance policy that we pay for monthly or yearly to be able to make sure that we maintain coverage when it comes to that. So our families and friends aren't stuck with sort of, you know, making tough decisions around arrangements versus being able to give the best possible home going uh, for you because they have the financial resources to do that. And so that's definitely something I want to spend more time talking about. I know financial wellness also came up when we talked about sort of our wellness topics and, and wheel and being in balance. And so I think next week's episode might be a good time to do that. So that's definitely something I think we'll be talking about. But in, in terms of again, sort of our topic of grief and loss, it's just definitely something we have to be able to develop a better sense of comfort about. Um, No matter our age, one of the best possible pieces of advice, particularly for those of us who are or may become caretakers for our family members, particularly our parents, a lot of times, you know, we imagine our parents, I know I do, to be sort of superheroes and, you know, that they'll live forever. And so obviously we want them to live as long as possible, but we often forget that as we're growing up and becoming adults and developing our careers and having families of our own, you know, we're growing up, they're growing older. And there there has to be some form of a realistic view about that so that there's not this feeling of of sort of morbidness around the topic to the point where we avoid it. And so I hope that if nothing else, this at least just maybe gives folks a moment to pause and think about, you know, how comfortable is my family about this topic? Do I talk about my sp- with my spouse about this? do I think about even what I would want with something like this? And that's not saying you run out today and go make a will, but that's definitely something to 
consider. So I hope this was useful. I know not a fun topic, but um, one that, again, is important. And if you're like me and my mother, can be somewhat uh, lighthearted to discuss because it's much easier to have that conversation while you're still here and for someone else to hear your thoughts and hear your heart um, about what you would want than sort of the opposite scenario where, you know, your family and friends are sort of left to guess and piece things together. So hopefully useful. Um, I think we'll take a pause right there and we'll be back with our other signature segments. Hey folks, we are back. Um, so we're going to jump right into our other signature segments of the show. Um, so first up is our pop psych moment of the week. Um, and so everything that on social media, TV, all around um, is about the 2018 NBA Finals. And so, of course, we have two teams that have been in the same game um, multiple times in a row together. And it's been interesting this time around because neither of these teams are necessarily like my go-to team. So I think personally, I'm a New Orleans Pelicans and Boston Celtics fan and obviously very proud of how far they both made it this year. Um, But... These two teams that are in the finals, um, so the Cavaliers and the Warriors, you know, definitely like star power player type teams. And so while, again, personally, I'm not a fan of either team in particular, I think they both are great and obviously have worked very hard to be in the position that they're in. Um, I do think it's interesting some of the conversations that I've either eavesdropped on or been a part of um, around this particular NBA final. So two things obviously come up for me, uh, one of which is this idea of sort of like it's everybody versus LeBron. So there are people I've learned who are either you're a LeBron fan or you're not. There's not a lot of people who are indeed true Cavalier fans. And so I just think that's also very interesting because often it comes up that, you know, LeBron is carrying his team all season long, all throughout the playoffs and now into the championship as well. And so, of course, people, you know, have their thoughts and opinions about it. Um, But it's interesting that most folks have put sort of LeBron on that pedestal to be that person who sort of makes the Cavaliers what they are. And in that instance, I don't necessarily know that anyone else has done that aside from fans uh, versus him or um, the structure of the team itself. You know, eventually there you have thought so many times they become your reality and and recognizing that um, externally people are often very much putting LeBron again on that pedestal to the point where I think now it's become fact to most people. I'm not saying that it's fact, but I think it's sort of just become the expectation. I think on the opposite side of that, it's sort of the everybody versus this Warriors kind of power squad. Um, So you have Steph Curry, you have Draymond Green, Klay Thompson, you know, Kevin Durant. And I think 
again, people feel some sort of way about the fact that they've established or really created and crafted a power squad that has become kind of unbeatable. And people get sort of infuriated by the fact that these gentlemen have made sort of a personal decision around being on a winning team, which I think for any of us, whether that's in our careers and our families, we all want to be a part of sort of a winning squad. If it can be unbeatable, then we kind of want to do that. And so it's interesting, again, conversations that I overhear about people's feelings about, you know, Kevin Durant leaving the Thunder to kind of join this power squad and really be maybe that last piece of the puzzle um, for them to have created sort of these consistent appearances in the playoffs and in the finals. And so it's just interesting. So I definitely find it humorous sometimes of the strong emotions uh, like hate and frustration, even grief. We talked about grief and loss today um, around losses, game losses that can be triggered by sport and even more so the personal connection that we have to sport. And so obviously I always say in my second life or my other life, my other part of my life, I work as a sports counselor and therapist working with athletes. And so it's, it is very interesting uh, because many of the emotions that we as, you know, support staff or even those of you all who are fans um, of certain sports teams out there feel, we get very like emotional about a loss. We get very emotional about a trade. We get very emotional about um, sort of who gets drafted and recruited um, and have very strong feelings about it. And, you know, again, that's not saying that we get rid of sport. I definitely am a, I'm a sports fan, but to recognize, you know, just how triggering that can be, I think is super, super important. And so it made me wonder how much we let external experiences in general around sport, around anything, control our internal and kind of ever-present emotions. And so being able to be more mindful, I think is very important um, because well beyond the careers of any of, you know, the players that we admire, the teams that we admire, you know, we don't get sort of commissions from being fans. We don't uh, get any payoff except the pride that maybe we get when we're wearing, you know, our team's colors and shirts and logos um, and another fan sees it and, you know, we're able to fist bump about it. But other than that, that's a lot of power. That's something external to us has. And so I think it's important, again, in making that connection to psychology and to counseling and to wellness, you know, to really give some thought to how are we letting external experiences, external desires control um, our internal emotions. Um, I just think it's it's very interesting to talk about and to think about because it's definitely a daily discussion among colleagues of mine at work, obviously, because of what I do, um, but have some very strong feelings um, to the point of, you know, taking sometimes people out of their character. And I, I just think that's really critical um, to think about, particularly as we sort of end basketball season and we start thinking again about football season, you know, baseball season's also in, um, you know, and thinking about what that looks like. Because again, sports sort of has a touch point for everybody, even if you're not, you know, a former athlete or you've never played a sport. It's a, it's a, it's an outlet often for people and sometimes a connection to other 
parts of our identity. I know for me, while I obviously love and have an obsession with the New Orleans Saints and the New Orleans Pelicans and the Boston Celtics, it's more so about sort of the connection to the, the places that those teams are located that, you know, I love. And so home for me is New Orleans. And so there's obviously a sense of pride in having those two teams and, and never wanting to experience a loss, but also knowing uh, what those teams maybe have meant emotionally, um, morally to that particular city. And so being able to give, I guess, space for that is okay. But again, in thinking about kind of our connection to pop culture and to psychology, to just be mindful of how much we let our external experiences, you know, really control us, particularly around something that, again, it's going to end. There can only be one winner. And where will you be afterwards? Hopefully not in the corner crying because your team didn't make it. So being able to to think about that, I think is is important. And obviously I wish the best of luck to both teams and we will see how this goes. Uh, we're two games in, so it'll be interesting to see how this all pans out and, and sort of the emotional responses afterwards. And hopefully now you will never see those games the same again. So that's our pop psych moment of the week. So in wrapping up, our, our last segment is our Small Talk Bookshelf. And I thought it would be important to provide a resource, particularly since we talked about grief and loss and death and dying connected with that. And one of my favorite books, my absolute favorite books um, that talks about this topic in not necessarily a direct way, but through storytelling um, is Tuesdays with Maury. And I have read this book probably a couple times. And what I love about it is obviously the storyline, but the way in which the story was was laid out in a, a very realistic view of of grief and loss and um, sort of the, the slower process of, of loss with, you know, sort of the option to be able to say goodbye. So I, in working with clients, often try to kind of describe the sort of two ways that we do experience loss. And one is which you experience loss and you're able to have sort of this like slow goodbye, maybe through terminal illness or discovering a health concern. And you're able to kind of, you know, experience that loss in a very different way, which doesn't make it any easier because it kind of gets drawn out in your grief and your loss. Um, And some of those stages, the denial, the shock get sort of extended because the person may still be present physically Um, But you sort of go through, experience the loss of what it will be like when they're not here and having to maybe even endure going through the experience of them maybe battling a health issue, which is, again, another another form of grief. Um, The other sort of perspective on that or the way in which people experience is sort of grief and loss without the option to say goodbye. Um, And so this obviously happens when a loss is unexpected. Some of those examples I gave earlier, sort of, you know, through violence or, you know, having someone sort of taken away unexpectedly, again, not any different or easier than sort of the long goodbye, but definitely still experiencing very strongly some of those same uh, stages, you know, the shock of the how of that person um, leaving us or, you know, dying and Uh, That in itself is really difficult. And so Tuesdays with Maury is more of the kind of long goodbye. And it really wasn't long. The book takes place over the course of 14 days. And so the storyline, and I don't want to ruin it for people who want to go read it, but basically a new sports columnist named Mitch Album, who is actually the author of the book, 
um, sort of just recounts the last days that he spent with one of his former professors and named Maury. And he kind of has this like outer body experience of being able to sort of both be present with his former professor in the process of his passing due to ALS, but also sort of being able to sort of oversee his own process of grief and loss externally. And so the first three chapters kind of incorporate this really ambiguous idea around the final conversations and um, there are flashbacks to special moments that they shared back when Maury was Mitch's professor. So like graduation and just advice that he gave over the course of his career. And they had not really been in touch since his time in college. And so it was really interesting when he decides um, to reconnect and reach out and sort of reunites with this person that had this major influence on him. And one of, I think, the sort of uh, significant or highlights is the fact that even though his professor's name is Maury Swartz, the name Maury comes from the Hebrew word for my teacher. And, you know, I think there's a very significant connection to the fact that many of the folks that we lose have often been teachers to us of some form, whether that's, you know, actual teachers like parents, grandparents, family members. But I even think of, you know, many of the, the, the things that I have learned from friends that I have lost, the lessons, the things to do and what not to do. Um, some of the ways in which I may view the world, being able to change those views because they've taught me to open my eyes a little bit. And so being able to realize, obviously it's the character's name, but often we do experience these folks in our lives as teachers. And I think that's pretty awesome. And so being able to just kind of remember those folks in our lives that we end up having to go through sort of that long goodbye process, you know, it's definitely being able to sort of think differently about how do we take time to engage in those life lessons and uh, really listen to the folks that we have in our lives because we don't know how long we will have them and how long they will be in our lives. And that's for all of us. And so um, Tuesdays with Maury, again, a great clinical tool for those of my clinicians that are listening and, and maybe do grief counseling, but definitely for anyone who's just personally interested and maybe has experienced a loss or is going through that process of, you know, terminal illness with someone, definitely a great outlet and, and a way to bring a sense of lightheartedness to a very serious and sad scenario, but also being able to recognize the importance of not leaving anything unsaid and of making the most of every moment. So, Tuesdays with Maury um, by Mitch Album, excellent book, and this week's Small Talk Bookshelf moment. So folks, that brings us to the end of another episode. I thank you guys again for tuning in. I hope that whatever you are doing today, riding in your car, working out, um, headed home, whatever you're doing, uh, that this was at least a useful tool to get you thinking about a topic that doesn't often come up. Um, definitely develops a little bit of discomfort in a lot of people, but um, being able to maybe discuss it in this open forum now gives you um, maybe a little courage to think differently about it. Um, we definitely have some more great 
interviews and episodes planned around our mental health topics for June, uh, which actually is also Men's Health Month. So hopefully we can bring that in a little bit. Obviously, I don't know anything about being a man, but I think I definitely have some great men in my life who I'm going to tap into who I think you all would benefit from hearing from. And so look forward to that. And of course, Father's Day is coming up. Um, Shout out to all the dads out there. Your day is coming. So we definitely can't celebrate moms and not celebrate you all as well. So look out for more in our coming weeks for our dads also. So as always, if you haven't already, make sure you like, follow and subscribe. Um, We didn't have any Ask Dr. LP questions this week, so if there's something on your mind, particularly around the topic we just discussed um, that you'd like us to bring up on the show, please send it our way through either our website, www.smalltalkcounseling.com, or send us a direct message on Facebook or Instagram at Small Talk Counseling, um, and we will make sure that it gets answered on the show. So make sure you tune in next week. I hope you guys have a wonderful week and I will chat with you later.